Hey, what's up, guys? This is Brad Carter, and you're listening to the Hunt the High Country podcast brought to you by all of us here at AltitudeOutdoors.com. Hey, guys, as always, thanks for tuning in and listening. Today, we're going to jump back in with Mike Johnson for part two of our conversation, and we're going to talk about taxidermy tips during your backcountry hunts. Mike goes over a lot of really good information on how to take care of your capes, take care of your animals. It's a great conversation. really want to thank Mike Johnson for being willing to talk to us about this and uh, for all the good information that he gives us. Once again, guys, our goal here at Altitude Outdoors is to help you become more successful on your hunts. And we do that through our podcast here that you're listening to right now. We do it through the content that we publish on our website, through our YouTube videos, and through our new online store where we carry backcountry hunting gear that we trust and have proven in the backcountry that we know that you can trust on your hunts too. You can check it out at altitudeoutdoors.com. We're always adding new products to the website. I want to give you guys 10% off anything in the store. Just use the coupon code HIGHCOUNTRY17. That's HIGHCOUNTRY17. Anyway, thanks guys. We're going to jump in with Mike Johnson as I sit down with uh, my co-host Billy Kennington and Mike himself. And we go over some awesome taxidermy tips for your backcountry hunts. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in to the High Country Podcast here, brought to you by AltitudeOutdoors.com. I'm Brad Carter. I'm here with Billy Kennington and Mike Johnson of Mealy Mike Studios. Some of you may know him as non-typical taxidermy here in Afton, Wyoming, and formerly in uh, Cache Valley, Utah, mm-hmm. Logan. Yeah. And so this is part two of kind of our series that we're doing with him. We talked about his season and, and his hunting of that drama buck and some other stuff. Uh, so if you want to check that one out, you can. Uh, but today I kind of want to pick your brain a little bit on taxidermy and field care. And a lot of us, we, you know, we go out and we spend our whole life looking for some trophy that we want to commemorate and put it on our wall. Some of us don't know how to prepare it very well. Yeah. And bring it to you and have it to where you can turn it into the trophy of our yeah. lifetimes and preserve the memories on the wall. So yeah. Maybe let's talk a little bit about, I know you're kind of rebranding your studio. Tell us a little bit about your taxidermy school experience, yeah. how long you've been doing it, what you're into, what you want to take in, what you enjoy doing, sort of that type of thing if you want to. Yeah, uh, I've been doing taxidermy since 06. Went to a spring course up in North Idaho. Learned taxidermy and tanning at right. that school. It was the last school that they did. They are a tannery now. Awesome school though. I learned tons from that. Grateful I went up there and then uh, furthered my education with tanning in 2011. Um, went up to Montana, up to uh, Jeff Welch up there. And that guy is amazing. Um, he's been uh, teaching tanning and taxidermy since 1978, I think. He's the longest running taxidermy school and tan. I mean, he's just an awesome guy. Right. Learned tons from him. And then I picked his brain on taxidermy too while I was up there. Right. Uh, so I learned the tanning and I learned how to do the garment tanning, the soft tanning, and you know, obviously like wet tan. I already knew how to do the wet tan on deer cape, deer capes and elk and all that, but I wanted to learn how to do garment tans for like fox and buffalo and things like that. I did run a tannery for a short period of time. I think it was like two years. Um, what was happening there was when you start taking in that kind of work, it takes over. Uh, you're, you have to run guys. I just didn't have the operation to do that. 
and my turnaround started to slip from me a little bit with tanning too. I love tanning, but my passion's, you know, mounting heads. So doing taxidermy. So I kind of retreated from that just a little bit. I still tan. I, I still do garment tan, stuff like that, but mostly just deer capes, elk capes, antelope capes, you know, mm -hmm. things like that. So I opened a shop there in uh, Logan, Utah in 06, ran a commercial taxidermy business for two or three years out of that shop and then moved it to my home in Menden, Utah until I convinced my wife to move to Wyoming. One day we were sitting there and I said, babe, what do you think about moving to Wyoming? And she was like, I don't know. And, and you know, I just kept asking her. Yeah. And one day she was like, well, if I can see you more, we'll move to Wyoming. And we were pretty familiar with, uh, you know, Afton and Star Valley. Her dad grew up here and we would always uh, have family reunions here, up here on the snake. And we would do camping trips every year. And one day, you know, I, I told Jen, I go, someday we're moving here. Like, I want to hunt and fish and do taxidermy up here. Mm -hmm. And it was spare of the moment. Our business was actually growing very rapidly down there in Star or, uh, Cache Valley. Um, the tannery was blowing up. Taxidermy was good. I had a great clientele down there. Lots of great animals, you know, with all the draw units down there. Right. Always mounting great stuff. It wasn't so much that I didn't want to live in Cache Valley. I just wanted the opportunity to do taxidermy on big mule deer and hunt on a regular basis. Like, not, you know, draw hunts. Right. General public land hunting for elk and deer. So when she said yes, we were gone. <laughs> dude, we, I had the U-Haul there. It's, I mean, it was that quick. And people were like, dude, you're crazy, man. Like, why are you leaving? You have all this going on. You know, like, it's good here. You know, and it was growing. But you know what? You have to live your dream. And this is really my dream, to, to live in, in the mountains in Wyoming and hunt and fish. And now I've got, uh, you know, my music thing going again. And I'm going to combine all that with uh, Muley Mike Studios and Wildman Productions. What I want to do is I want to take the hunt. We're going to film the hunt and then end it with the taxidermy. That hasn't been done, but I want to do it on a regular, regular basis, like 12 episodes, 12 different animals. They might not all be mine. One might be yours or... Billy's or my wife's or whatever, mm -hmm. but I want to do like 12 and then all the music. All right, which will be kind of cool. I want to have an intro song that I've actually already written. And then I've got an ending song that I've written. So I've got two songs written that I need to record. And then I've got some other cool things going. Um, we just got back from Nashville and there's a song on there called, uh, we call it The Mountains. The chorus is The Mountains Are Calling. It is awesome. Really catchy. I think a lot of people are going to relate to it. But that's kind of the direction with Muley Mike Studios that I want to go is specializing in mule deer. I'm steering away from Europeans, um, doing a whole lot of tanning rugs. I'm not going to do anymore. It's I want to stay focused and be good at certain number of things instead of just being slammed with everything. Right. And then my turnaround gets crazy. I'd rather have a you know three to six month turnaround on big game heads. So that's what I'm gonna gear towards. And yeah, we're changing from Johnson's non-typical to Muley Mike Studios. So it's gonna be pretty cool. We got Wildman Productions will be the filming and stuff like that, but the tax derby's Muley Mike Studios. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Those will be fun videos to watch. Yeah. And then we just we just moved the shot recently. Well, we kind of had two of them going, one in Thane and one up here in Afton as a drop, connected 
to altitude mm-hmm. here. But then this little space became available and my lease was up uh, up in Thane and I live a block away, so it makes sense, you know? Yeah. And it just, I don't have to drive that drive in the winter, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So mm-hmm. my family's here, the kids, my wife, I don't gotta be commuting and it's easy. My kids ride their bikes over here and check on me. And, mm-hmm. But it's it's been a really good set up for me right here. So I just have to ask, yeah. what's the story behind a Wild Man production? Like, just where where did the name come from? Wild Man. Wild, <laughs> wild, yeah, dude, man. Wild Man in it. So, yeah, when you're out there hunting, man, you, you know, you're out in the wild. Just wonder if there's yeah. anything specific. No. <laughs> okay. Well, when, uh, when me and Brandon Woolcott were hunting uh, in the back country in the wilderness, um, we hunted uh, black bear. I shot that beautiful cinnamon back there. We were way back in there, and I was like, dude, we're wild man in it, and it just stuck. And so, you know, I was talking to Brad about doing this YouTube thing and filming, and I'm like, well, I gotta have, you know, some kind of production thing, and wild man is, it's on its way. (laughs) Watch for him on YouTube, folks. Yeah, Yeah, so as of, uh, you know, this upcoming fall, 2017, be Muley Mike Studios, just hopefully taking in big mule deer. Yeah, we're just gonna focus more on on the actual shoulder mounts. That way, consistent, turnaround's good, and the quality's up. That's the thing too, is uh, we're gonna focus more on quality and not quantity from here on out. I, I'm not gonna be slammed with 200 heads. I'd rather do 75 good heads. Well, let's talk about the, like what's the difference between what, when you say a quality mount versus like a commercial mount. Yeah. Like what's uh, the difference? Well, you're, you're, you're spending less time on the eyes. You're spending less time on the nose, the inner nose, uh, airbrushing. Components just just tying, like with the mount. Like you can slap them together. You could sew them up and just call it good and position the ears and kind of mess with the eyes and nose and leave it right. to dry. Like when I mounted your deer because I'm a block away, I came consistently like four or five different times, even in the evenings, and just bumped the eyes exactly where I wanted them and that deer's eyes look perfect Uh, that's the kind of quality that I want to do all the time but I've always put pride in it I I stand behind all my mounts I've never been like a huge commercial taxidermist where I'm pumping them out what I mean by getting spread out is having the Europeans and the rugs and the tanning it takes your focus off of what you're good at but as far as quality goes the quality's always been there when you do a competition mount obviously you're gonna spend more time than you on a commercial mount. That's kind of where I want to go with it, mm-hmm. is actually spending almost that kind of time on them. On so that, mount. yeah. I wouldn't say that I know everything about taxidermy. In fact, mm-hmm. I don't know a ton. What's kind of the process that you go through from the time that people drop off the cape till when you send the head back out? Uh, normally, the hunter or sportsman is out there. Uh, they usually cape the head to the back of the skull of the deer, elk, antelope, whatever and the cape's attached to the head. Then I continue the caping of the face, which is the Y incision, down the face through the lacrimal glands, the nose, eyes. When I get that done, I take the cape and I turn the ears, eyes, nose, flesh all the red meat off, um, label it with the the hunter's name, uh, write down his information on the paperwork for myself and the game and fish, and then I salt them. So I salt them for 24 hours, usually a full day, sometimes two days. Then I pull them, shake the salt off, let them air out and dry. Uh, Sometimes you can go just let them dry for 
a day and go straight into the pickle. Um, and you don't have to really rehydrate the hide. Uh, if you let it dry solid, so the salt dries the skin out, uh, then the hide is uh, almost like cardboard, it's solid. Um, you have to put it in water with a, a wetting agent, a rehydration is what I use, rehydrates the hide, then it goes into the pickle. Then it goes through the pickling process, which it's acid, salt, and water. What that does is it draws all the proteins out of the skin. And then when you tan the skin, the tan goes in where the proteins were. Hmm. So now you have a tan skin. Um, once it is tanned, pull it and neutralize it. So the skin's tanned, but it was tanned at a pH of say three. That's your acid level mm -hmm. is three. For a really good shelf life where you want this mount to last you your lifetime and your kids and who knows how long, mm -hmm. uh, the pH has to be higher. So the pH would, I think I pH them up to like five. 5.5. When they're there, the shelf life's a long time on. Rinse them and they're ready to mount. Uh, that process, tanning is its own deal. That is a huge part of actually the taxidermy mount um, that people don't know about. But it has to go into a pickle, which it sits in. Uh, what that does is it plumps the skin and it has to be shaved on a shaver. That shaver thins it to a nice leather. And that's how you get your stretch to put back on the animal. When it's, when it's on the animal and those proteins are in it, yeah, it stretches. But then when you salt it and you put it into a pickle, you're not, you don't necessarily get that 24 inches. It's kind of shrunk. But it's setting all the hair and setting the hair, pulling the proteins. And then you shave it thinner so that you get back to where that the original so animal was. Yeah. So the tanning process is just its own deal. But that's an, actually a huge part of the mount. Then when the, the skin's tanned, um, I do the detail prep. I'll go through the eyes and thin them down, go around the eyelids, thin them way down. Uh, lacrimal gland, which tear duct, people call it. Nose, paper thin. Um, lips, paper thin. The thinner I make those things, the less shrinkage I have, the less it's wanting to pull away from the form. That combination of thinning with hide paste is key. Um, a lot of taxidermists out there, we're talking commercial mounts, they may not use glue. They might may not use clay on the eyes. Uh, they may, they're cutting corners to make money. But the key is, is uh, thinning the face down really good, um, using a very good ear liner, pulling the cartilage on the ears, making sure your ear liner fits the ear correctly too is key. Um, I always trim mine to exact fit. It's just taking that time. And I, I really thin my capes down. And that's just experience over... 10 years, you learn anatomy. Like I can put deer together, like around here, I got all these reference pictures. In the beginning, I used them a lot. But now I, I know the anatomy quite well. If I'm struggling and I'm like working on a pose, I can go and look at any of these references on these deers and find out exactly where ear placement is, what he, like how his facial expression is, what his ears doing, mm -hmm. if it's tipped back, if his lips curled, you know, all of these different things. If his, if his neck's turned, how much wrinkles, how early the cape is, if it's a late cape. So you do the tan, and then you gotta order it, right? Yes, okay. So now that we've got the skin tanned, I order the form depending on what the customer wants. If it's a left turn or a right turn, full sneak, semi-sneak, upright, um, wall pedestal, pedestal mount. They, I mean, they choose. They get to choose the pose. Some people just, they really don't care. They just want their deer. 
It could be a, usually a semi-sneak, you know, right or left turn. Straight mounts I don't really like because it doesn't show an expression too much, but it truly is up to them. And then you get guys that are very particular. They, they want their ears a certain way. They want, you know, a pedestal mount or a wall pedestal. So it's really, or they're trying to capture the hunt. Like your deer walked out exactly like that. If you look in the video. So yeah, they get to choose. I, I measure the nose to eye measurement and the neck measurement three inches from the base of the ear down. So from the bottom of the ear, three inches down, that circle is what I base it off of. So the forms come in different sizes? All different, and then yeah. You gotta add, they'll come in, you gotta add eyes? Eyes. Ear liners? Yep. I, so I use the best eyes I can use. And there's so many good eyes out there right now. Ear liners, um, I think I'm gonna move over to these competition ear liners that I've been using lately. Uh, but I always do trim them down to the exact size of the animal. Right. Some of them have notches, like that one has a cut in it, right. a little notch. I cut that ear liner exactly, it fits right, right inside it. On my mounts, I use clay around the eyes. Um, I do a little clay on the nose, and I do clay around the bases of the antlers to tuck the skin in, to actually pinch the skin against the antler. That's a trick for you taxidermists that don't know that one. Um, and that works very, very efficiently. I learned that from another taxidermist. I wasn't doing that. And I was actually having trouble with elk pulling down. And he's like, man, wrap that thing with clay. You gotta like watch it and push it up nice and tight. But before you pull your thread, you gotta make sure it's positioned correctly. And when you pull that thread, it seeds that skin right against the bottom or the top of the clay mm -hmm. and the bottom of that pedicle and it'll go in really nice and tight. Sometimes on elk I'll thin those down really good so they don't drop. Sometimes I nail elk deer I don't have to do that. The clay holds them really really good nice and tight. Um, scratching your surface is really important on the animal so that the skin attaches to the glue and the glue attaches to the form. Really important, that's big detail. When you want your lacrimal glands, tear ducts to stay in place, your nose to stay in place, and especially your lips. Your lips, for some reason, want to tend to pull out as they dry. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to watch them and keep tucking them. Uh, if you thin them correctly, you don't have that problem usually. So when you have guys bringing tapes in, what's the biggest thing they mess up? On the most, yeah. they they cut them way short. Um, like you're talking like on yeah, the body. On the body, they'll be missing briskets, missing part of the brisket, and cutting into the armpit of the animal. A lot of the forms now have the arms slightly on them, uh, just a piece of them, the front, probably three inches of the arm. When you say you know they're not <laughs> being cut far enough back, would you suggest fourth or fifth rib then for oh, guys? Yeah. yeah. I, so what I do is I look at the back of the arm and I'll go six inches behind. When it comes to me, cape comes to me and you choose your mount, I know if you're doing a wall pedestal or pedestal or a regular mount, I will cut it off. You can tube around the um, elbow of the animal, which you do a full circle around the elbow and skin down and pull his arm through, or you cut through the back long hair of the, the arm and you come back and you'll, you can see the hair, is, it's really long. And you stay in that hair and once you come past his armpit, you go straight back into your circle cut. The hardest part for us is, is we can sew it back up, mm -hmm. but man, that, that is such fine area. Short hair. Short hair and it, 
that area of the animals kind of cowlicked. The hair goes different directions and it's really hard to pull those off. I mean, mm -hmm. some sew up great and look good. Others, you're fighting them and you can see them. Mm -hmm. That's the main thing is make sure that there's brisket, armpit, it's back far enough. And then when you cut down the back of the neck from the atlas joint, make sure you're going with the hair. So just go to the back of the head with your knife and just cut a straight line. So the animal's laying down on the ground, just go parallel from the atlas joint, straight back to your circle cut. With the hair, you'll be money. You, you come this direction, what happens is, is you tend to chop. Mm -hmm. And when you chop, that's harder to sew up. Right, because the cuts. Yeah, the cuts are all over. Yep. That's one thing I learned this year. We used to always just, you know, from the circle cut, come up. Yeah. And uh, just starting at the atlas or right at the base of the skull yeah. and going that way. I mean, it's just slick. Especially know, it's with just, those. It's like. Yeah, it's just like a zipper. And with yeah. those Havilon <laughs> knives, it's just zip and it's yeah. done. And, you know, as far as just getting it up to the head is fine. You can just bring it to your taxidermist, still finish the Y incision and all that and take it off the face. Okay, right. So talking about backcountry hunts, let's talk about, you know, how to prevent your cape from spoiling in the backcountry, mm -hmm. kind of like if you do have it on the head, kind of a timeline that you have to have it to the, the taxidermist if you're not coming out. Let's just go yeah. through that. Yeah, so that's a great question. I've actually wanted to address that quite a bit because there is lots of great things that you can do. First thing is, is getting it off the body. If you see me in the backcountry, first thing I do is I cape that. If I know I'm mounting it, I cape it right off to the back of the head and I open it up. The faster it's open, it's cooling down. That is key. Another thing that you can do is say like you know you're going to be in the backcountry for seven days or something like that and you kill a buck opening day. You can cape it off the face if you know if you're if you know how to cape. Get it off the head and um, put it like let it cool down because you know at night it just cools way down. Mm. Get it cold then put it skin to skin roll it up and you can dig a hole in the earth and you just bury that thing, put a big rock on it, and it, the earth will just keep it cool. Hmm. We'll keep it really cool. But do not put it in a river or stream. Uh, the first component to bacteria is water. You wanna keep the slip, throw it in some water for a long period of time, and then let it sit out in a, in a black plastic bag in the heat or something, it's gone. So let's say you are on a seven day hunt, seven to 10 day hunt, you do kill a deer um, first day. If you get it off the head, you know, you bury it, it still should be good by the time you get out in seven, yeah. ten days. But what if you don't get it off the head? So that's just if you I've had deer, no joke, couple weeks if in the right condition, still on the head, caped out and tanned up like nobody's business. And so, others are slipping within 48 hours. I, I think it's the nature of the beast. I don't know if it's the animal. The other thing when I was talking about not putting in water is cutting the the neck off and not leaving a whole lot of neck meat in there. Mm -hmm. The neck meat will spoil it uh, because it, it conducts heat. It holds that heat. So say you cut the from the atlas joint three or four inches back on the neck and leave that big chunk of meat, well, it may slip at the throat patch because of the heat. You want to get that skin off and cooled down. And another way to check your capes, like say you do have it on the head, right? Mm -hmm. And say you put it skin to skin and you put it in a game bag so no bugs are getting to it like blowfly you know because the flies will just create maggots and stuff like that you, right. you want to keep it you want it to be breathable but not let insects get to it but you can check the inner ear if the inner ear starts to slip so the little white fuzzy hairs if they start coming out pretty good it's slipping 
So you just grab the hair. Yeah. Pull it. Yeah. Just slightly. Easy, you know, yep. yep. That's what I check first. So like if I know a cape is coming in like pretty tough shape, that's the first place I go to. And I go to the lacrimal gland and I'll itch it. And if the nictating membrane comes off like that, it's not going to tan out. What happens is, is there's too much bacteria in the skin for the acid to work correctly. And then it may pickle okay. But when you go to add the tanning agent, it's not going to take it. The bacteria is over overpowering the skin. But it's crazy. I've seen stuff slip immediately. Like I shot an antelope, first antelope buck I ever killed. Super excited to mount it up. I'm a taxidermist. I drove clear up to Sheridan, Wyoming from Utah. That cape slipped fat. I mean, while I was caping it, it was just done. I mean, hair was falling out everywhere. And I don't, I really don't know why on that one because I did some flat hides on some of the does that I had killed and they tanned up beautifully. Don't know, but they're all just semi, you know, somewhat different. But yeah, there's different conditions. A guy shot a bull elk in the book cliffs and that thing was, looked like it had been drugged through the dirt, bloody, <laughs> maggots all over it. He brings it to me and he's like, or he wanted to do a shoulder mount. And I'm like, I don't think so. He's like, well, you just try and no joke tanned. It tanned, and I was like, after that, I was a firm believer that it really depends when it goes through the pickling process if it's going to go. But if it's really slipping hair, it's not going to make it. Especially if you use tumblers, they'll fall apart immediately in them. Yeah, that's good info. That's really good advice. Just get them cool, cool in as fast as you can. I mean, same thing with the meat. Yeah, get them cool, open them up, let them cool down for 12 hours, let them sit overnight. Then put them skin to skin and roll them up. Another thing people will do is toss the skin in a bag, right? And it's all over the place, right? Right. And that blood and dirt and whatever, maybe shot it in the rain. Now it's got water on it. So now it's got blood and dirt and bacteria just growing. It seems like if they're skin to skin and rolled up, there's less stuff going on. But when they're just kind of everywhere, now you've got all this stuff on the hair and it's going to start to break down a little <laughs> bit. So... I always roll them skin to skin. Like say you shoot a buck and uh, you can't get to your local taxidermist, you cape it off the head, or you just don't have the money to mount it now, and you're gonna freeze it. Use just a heavy durable garbage bag, skin to skin, roll it up with the face and the ears in it first. So they have less chance of freezer burn. And then, you know, you probably have, I'd hate to say it's probably 12 months in a freezer, you know, uh, green but try to get them to them within three to six months. I try to cape and flesh when they come in. I try not to freeze anything. I think a big mistake that I've seen just from watching capes that come into you is split up the brisket, right? Yeah. So like when I get an animal down and I know I'm gonna save him, and I save a lot of capes, because right. you can use them or somebody can, or you can trade them or whatever. Yeah. You know? that's, a, that's a tip that I'd give. A lot of times we've paid for our, our tags, especially mule deer. If it's got, gosh, four point or better, we usually save it because most of the time taxidermists will buy it from you. Oh yeah, <laughs> for sure on deer. Elk, not so much. We haven't had as good of luck with elk, but mule deer for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. And you, I mean, you can get a little bit of money, so it's it's worth bringing the capes off the mountain. It really is. Yeah, I mean, it, it covers your tag for sure, and yeah. then some. Right. It, you know, I usually pay, uh, they're a small cape 50, if they're medium cape 75 if they're a big cape it goes up you know like if it's an old old buck old buck troll buck you know eight years old you're getting some money for it because those capes are rare 
and there's guys that always have big racks they want to mount and it looks very unusual when you mount up a 34 inch buck on a 19 or 18 inch like early season cape they look ridiculous almost so right. yeah you want to make sure to save those capes especially deer i'll buy them but anyway, cape them off first, right? If you know you're gonna cape it, cape mm -hmm. it. I don't split the brisket because I'd use the gutless method most of the time. But even if you're gonna gut your animal, cape him off, take that cape, keep it clean, then gut him. If you do gut your animals, and some people just straight quarter them, when you make that incision, when you're gutting, it comes to the bottom of the brisket anyway. Right. That's about the point you wanna make sure you should stop there. Uh, what was it, last week I had a buck that I mounted up that had a huge incision up the front and the back. So not only did I have to sew it up from the app, you know, Y incision from the horns back, I had to go all the way up the throat patch. And when you're talking quality mounts, that jeopardizes what kind of quality I can produce because of a, just a simple error. That's really on me because they're like, who mounted that? Not on them but that troll buck came out awesome. We did a full sneak and looking at him straight on, I mean, it looked good. But not all of them probably turn out as good as that one. No, um, they don't, especially if uh, they cut the hair. So when you're going against the grain of the hair, like we've talked about, you're cutting incisions, you're actually cutting hair too. There's natural hair that's long and then there's just like shaved off hair and it looks ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'll actually go to the outer edge of the leather and cut that out and try to bring the two good hairlines together but then how much cape are you jeopardizing on the the circle of the neck you know like the how big its neck is let's talk a little about like salting versus freezing right like yeah say you've, you get your cape you're gonna keep it because tax drawers out of town or you're in alaska or whatever right and you need to bring your cape home yeah talk a little bit about that when i was in alaska uh, i just froze my sitka and brought it back in a container um, so it was still frozen when it got here. Then I did the turning and salting here. Preferably, like say you're in southern Utah, you shoot a big buck, it's kind of warm. I would just try to get it off the animal. And if you can find somewhere that they can freeze it, I suggest that. With salting, you have to really prep them to salt. Right. What you're doing is actually turning the red meat into jerky on the skin and it makes it a little bit tougher to deal with. So um, I prefer not to have them salted mm -hmm. because I like to flush the, I mean, they look like leather before I salt them. There's no red meat on the cake, preferably frozen if, if that's your choice. Now, like say you're in Southern Utah and you're gonna drive it clear up here, but you're 48 hours out and you, you, you didn't cape it off the face and you did flesh the body part of it pretty dang good. There's hardly any red meat. You could go down to an IFA or local feed store, get some you know, feed mixing salt and put it on the inside of that cape. And that that is drawing moisture off the skin. It is locking the hair. It is killing bacteria. But you are risking a little bit on the face. But your what happens is, is when you shoot at an animal and it dies, it gets cold, especially overnight when it drops down to like say 30 degrees. Well, what happens is that skull becomes like an ice cube and generally helps the face. Don't leave them in, uh, you know, like direct sunlight in the back of the bed of your truck. Keep them in the shade, the coolest temperature you can. Don't throw them in a black plastic bag with no airflow. Man, they'll fall apart quick. Mm -hmm. I had a bear come in late spring and uh, right towards the end of the hunt, man, and it was in a big black garbage bag and I opened that thing up and it was like, 
the smell was so crazy and the paws just fell right off. And it was just because of that, that little air. Just putting it in the black bag. Black bag, not letting it breathe and in the sun direct sunlight man that thing was just cooking like so like you're in the back country just keep your deer in the shade just like you would keep the meat in the shade let it cool down at night and then i'll put it skin to skin and then put it in a game bag so no flies can get to it right. and then i will if i know i'm mounting it with a little saw cut the head off and there's all kinds of little bone saws now and i actually have just a, like a gerber tool um, but there is a little saw on that and i'll use that saw to cut the head off if I know I'm in the European, I'll just dislocate that lower jaw off, cut off as much red meat as I can. The know. lower jaw and tongue, and that would yeah. be a lot. Yep, it does. It also spoils fast, too. It does. Well, it <laughs> gets green. It heat, you know. Yeah. If you can't get it real cool, then that yeah. heat will radiate out and ruin everything. Yep. That's where the flies also also go. I always find flies. Oh, man. They, they go, right up, they go right up the nostrils. Well, yep, they go they right do. on the inside of the eye. You'll see those little white. They're laying all their eggs. Right. Oh man, and they'll just destroy, just destroy capes quick. Like I remember when you brought your deer down because you shot him opening day but didn't come out for three days or something because you were hunting with Billy. Yep. You were kind of a little worried. And I was like, I think he's he's gonna make it, you know? Yeah. And, well, uh, I left the head on. Yeah. But I, we cool, it was cool. We cooled, cooled it every him, night. And then yeah. I'd pull him out every <clears> night because yeah. it was cold, lay him out. Yeah. And then in the morning I'd roll him up. Yeah. And I'll put him in the shade somewhere. What'll happen is, is the inner ear is going to slip first. The rest of the cape may tan. So sometimes you'll see some mounts that have really, really bald ears on the inside. Mm -hmm. That's what was going on there. They're slipping first. They're slipping <laughs> a little bit. But the earlier they ki they're killed, the less they have too. I remember we killed. Uh, archery buck southern utah i was with this kid he shot it we gave it a half hour went and retrieved the animal the thing was already slipping it was because it was laying in the sun but because their capes are so fine it, it looked like an african animal like hmm. the african the ears there was hardly any hair on them right. it was yeah just keeping them cool no bacteria no water no bugs and as soon as you get home if you can't get them to your taxidermist freeze, freeze them freeze them yep immediately but it's probably i mean it's probably worth learning how to cape because yeah. I mean say especially an elk or something you get home and you can't get it to your taxidermist you can't throw that in your freezer freezer's not going to fit a six-point bull elk you know with the horns yeah. attached so yeah. if you can at least learn to cape down around the eyes mm -hmm. to where you can cut the gold oh, yeah. off then you manage yeah. a lot better you shoot a buck that gets some ground shrinkage <laughs> and you're not going to mount it or you or a meat hunter that time you know you shoot a little whitetail buck or a little mule deer and it's strictly meat meat buck or you're with your kids whatever um practice on those when i came back from taxidermy school you know i never really caped an animal at school i was dealing with capes that were already frozen so i shoot a spike uh bull down the uenas with my muzzleloader and i'm like like how am i gonna learn how to cape you know so i caped that little spike and then i fleshed it and i turned it you know and i was like this may sound crazy to you guys, but I, I mounted it. And the reason why I mounted it is why not learn on my own stuff and practice before I learn on, you know, somebody's 350 bull. I know, I, I mean, I've caped quite a bit of stuff, but when I took that cape in, this was when I was down in Utah, I think I cut the eyelid just barely or so, so I got nervous after that. <laughs> so yeah. I had to like practice a few times and get my confidence back. Yeah, the the trickiest part is the Y, y incision is pretty good. When you're coming down and you get to that edge, the back edge of the eye, a lot of the time, people will cut the back of the eye off because it's really tight to the skull. Mm -hmm. Now what I do is I come down to the back of the eye 
make a little cut and I slip my finger through the eye and pull it down and I can see what's going on. Mm -hmm. And I pull that eye away and I'm looking at the eyelashes and all that stuff. And then when I get down to that lacrimal gland, I, I take my time around that and then just keep coming forward. Um, you gotta make sure that you have the cheek, the, the lips are attached way back here on the cheek of the skin um, because that's what we tuck into the form. Right. So it takes a few of them to really learn, mm -hmm. you know, to get it down. But yeah, practice on the two points, practice on the little bucks that whoever's shooting them and you're in camp with them or whatever. And you know, some guys aren't gonna, it's tedious. Um, I could probably cape out a deer fast, 15 minutes maybe, like total. And some guys it'll take an hour or more mm -hmm. because they're so worried about it, not making holes and taking their time, which that's good, you know, but they're not doing it all the time either. So just another quick question for yeah. you, Mike. I'm just uh, curious as, as what kind of knives you recommend. Do you actually carry kind of a caping knife with you? What do, what do you carry when you're going in the in the So mountains? the first couple of years I was out there in the field, I was carrying these buck knives, big old blade. Then I was carrying just flip knives and stuff. Then I started carrying these knives that I actually use in taxidermy that I learned uh, how to use at taxidermy school. It's a Victor and Knox um, paring knife. These knives are five bucks, super light, sharp and razor sharp and very flexible. Um, so when I'm caping around the burr of the horn, I mean they flex. Hmm. Like a Havilon will snap and they cut really jagged because they are so sharp. We'll have a pretty good edge on them and I can go up around the burr. They work really good. I carry just a little sharpener. Super light. I mean, I need to weigh one of these to find out what they weigh. When we did the seminar in Idaho, you know, I was talking about maybe maybe this year getting a bunch of these and giving them out to the guys because mm -hmm. they would love these things. Now your uh, your Havilons are great, but so sharp that they're freaky sharp. Um, I remember I got this mountain lion in and I hung it up, this is down in Utah. I'm sitting there skinning it out with my knife. And he, my buddy was like, the guy that shot the line was like, try this Havilon, man, have you ever tried one of these? I was like, no. So I started using that Havilon and I started nicking holes cause it was so sharp. It was like super sharp. And I was like, hey, I can't even use that thing. I mean, those Havilons can be pretty scary too. Yeah. You, you get cut in the back country, you could bleed out in a hurry. Brad and I have talked about this, you know, since I use them and I'm used to them, you know, I prefer it just because that yeah. I'm used to having it. And if anything's not that sharp, it drives me crazy. Yeah. But, you know, there are other options that aren't that sharp, but yeah. you're right. You you nick even a finger and stuff yeah. and you can be in a mess yeah, in a hurry. I prefer like the oh. oh yeah. They have a little bit more feel of like a traditional knife, but still, I mean, they're not going to work like those do for caping around eyes. They, you know, they don't flex at all. They're a pretty firm blade, yeah. pretty big, you know. When we were up on Idaho Invasion and we killed the first buck, and then while I was working on him and you went up and to look up in that higher basin where that cactus buck was, I was using this knife and Brad came back and I had had the whole animal quartered, caped, like broke down yeah. with this little guy. And this is what I carry and they're so sharp. I mean, they work so good. And then I'm so used to them from doing taxidermy. I use these for thinning the eyes and then the reason why I like it, it's like a pencil. It's like drawing. So when I'm working on the eyelids, I'm just drawing, basically. Um, the lacrimal glands, I'm drawing. Around the nose, I'm drawing. Cartilage on the ears, I'm just drawing. And then I, I cut that cartilage out and pull it off. And the flexibility, and these things last forever. 
I mean, I've got some of these knives that the blade is probably this short Just here. Sharpen yeah. Over and over and over. Yeah. I mean, they last a while. So what are they again? Victor Knox pairing okay. knife. They uh, have black handles. Sometimes you can find them for like three dollars. Yeah, that that's their taxidermy <laughs> supply. They're like five fifty, but you can find them for like three bucks, three twenty-five. Great knife. Well, Mike, we appreciate you being on. I'm sure people have other questions and want to follow along with what you're doing with YouTube and everything else. So what's the best way to kind of follow along with what you're doing right now? You can follow us through Instagram, Facebook, and then you get to see mounts on a regular basis. What's your Instagram handle right now? Yeah, so right now I'm, I'm Johnson's non-typical on both of them, but they will switch. So right now, if you're listening to this, you can find him, Johnson's non-typical taxidermy yeah. on Instagram. Johnson's not typical on Facebook. The Western Wyoming Big Buck Contest is yep. a contest that we run through. Well, Mike's been running it, and we kind of, I have, I use a drop-off here at the shop, too. Yeah. Uh, but you can see a lot of the bucks that Mike works on there. Yeah. Yeah, we run Western Big Buck Contest. Um, this year, we're going to do some different things, so we'll keep you guys in the loop on that through probably Facebook and Instagram. Mm -hmm. um, we want to have more prizes. Um so yeah, me and Brad are talking about that right now and what we're gonna kind of do with it. But that's huge. That's a, a really cool way of seeing what's being harvested in Western Wyoming. And then yeah, I take in a lot of bucks from that. I do a free shoulder mount for the biggest buck for adult and youth. So two shoulder mounts. Altitude Outdoors gave a bunch of prizes to second and third places. This year, we're, we're, we're debating on a bunch of different stuff right now. We want to make it bigger and better. All right, guys, there you have it. Thanks again, Mike, for being with us and Billy for sitting in. And uh, if you got any taxidermy questions, hit Mike up. And if you're looking for quality mounts, look at his work. He ships all over the country and accepts yeah. shipments from all over the country, too. Anyway, thanks, guys, for listening. This was uh, part two of episode eight of the Hunt the High Country podcast, brought to you by AltitudeOutdoors.com.